Hey, what's up? This is Christopher Stolle of Realm of the Mist Entertainment. The podcast you are listening to is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com. That's s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and information on those shows, as well as information and an ability to contact publicist Steve Joyner for more information. Just go to the website and check out the family, ladies and gentlemen. Until then, enjoy the show. Listening to Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour, a podcast released on the first three Wednesdays of the month. Family crisis, relationship crisis, addiction crisis, no two crisis situations are the same. They vary by family, individual, and relationship. They can encompass complex family dynamics, emotional distress, anger issues, and entitlements, and often involve substance abuse. This podcast addresses these issues and others surrounding the addiction epidemic currently plaguing this country and the world. There is hope and help. Are you stuck, scared, or unsure of what to do next? If a situation with a loved one, spouse, or even a child has started to spiral, possibly becoming dangerous or threatening, it's time to seek help. My name is Scott H. Silverman. I help families navigate crisis situations. I'm the person you turn to in order to get you and your loved ones unstuck. Welcome back to the show. This is Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour. This is Michael Glenn Moore. I am Scott's co-host. And today, Scott, it's our first video episode. This show will be going out on both audio and video audio on Podbean and your major podcasting networks and video on YouTube. So if you're listening to this and would like to see us do the show, go to YouTube, Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour, and you can watch us. You keep okay. those things a secret, I see. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll skip that then today because, you know, we kind of got away from that. I, I'd wanted to start doing review, uh, reading off the reviews of people who review us on Apple. Um, and uh, so I was going to do one today, and I sent you a, a, a photograph of the of my uh, phone screen with the review on there. But um, oh yeah, I think I did see that. But that was yeah, I, it's on my phone screen. But you know what? We're uh, there's so much excitement today with going with video. I you know I actually showered today, and I got a haircut yesterday. Um, forgive my shirt; it's it's you know it's got a nice flag on it, but it's uh, you know it's a t-shirt. We wanted to go casual because I didn't want to look as good as the doctor. I didn't, want to sh- I didn't want to show. Well, up you look you. sharp with your 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 background. That's a really nice background you got going. That's right. Your your colleague, I think, designed that for us. You know, I don't know if you can see it or not. I'll get out of the way. <laughs> that looks pretty good. That looks pretty yeah. good. Okay. Well, since we're not we don't have the review, we'll uh, we'll go right into the show. So, Scott, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, and then introduce our guest. Great. Thanks, Michael. Well, you know, and I think speaking of reviews, you know, we'd love your feedback on anything you can do. And as we get this up on YouTube, you know, one of the things I, I'm just signed up for a course this week, Michael, to learn how to take advantage of YouTube 
And, you know, it's funny that the banner was absolutely free. And then you have to listen to the eight minute segment. And then towards the end, it's like, but <laughs> wait, there's more in order to get the full course. Anyway, 27 bucks. I'm investing in it. Sean Cannell, I believe is his name, you know, really well-known guy. And he's done really well with it. So I'm looking forward because I think YouTube's going to be a great medium for us. And I, uh, I'm excited about, you know, the opportunity of doing this in audio and visual, you know, which means uh, you see us and you hear us. So today we have a very unique gift. Oh, before I go to that, let me, I forgot. Let me give up my phone number. You know, again, Scott H. Silverman, welcome to Happy Hour. My phone number is 619-993-2738. 619-993-2738. like to say it at the beginning because some of you may only last for the beginning of this. And I'm not even talking about those who are on medication. So for those who are listening, please take down my number anywhere you are in the country or the world. You can text or you can call me. Uh, just don't call me and hang up. I get that a lot from my wife when she's upset with me because we've been quarantined now for nearly six months. And uh, check me out at yourcrisiscoach.com and get in touch. Ask for help. Reach out. You know, we're in a very unique time right now in our country and people are stressing. I think it was Michelle Obama the other day that just said she had a mild or low-grade mental health depression, low-grade depression. So, you know, what I'd like to do just to honor all those right now who are, are in the situation we're all in, we all are in it. Just take 30 seconds, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and think about all the gratefulness you have in your life and the fact that you're able to hear this and you are able to take a deep breath. So just 30 seconds, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and let it out slowly. All righty, we are back. All right, today our guest, I've got a little <clears throat> something here I'm gonna read. And it printed out with a type font that thinks like 0 .020, so I've got to kind of squint to get it out. Dr. Mel Pohl, MD, D-F-A-S-A-M, is the Chief Medical Officer of Las Vegas Recovery Center, LVRC. Dr. Pohl was a major force in developing LVRC's chronic pain recovery program. He's a board-certified family practitioner, certified by the American Board of Addiction Medicine, and distinguished fellow of the American Society of Addiction Medicine. Dr. Paul, commonly known as Mel to most of us, is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the University of Nevada School of Medicine. He was elected by his peers for inclusion in the best doctors in America from 2009 to present. He's the author of A Day Without Pain, Central Recovery Press, and The Pain Antidote, Stop Suffering from Chronic Pain, Avoid Addiction to Painkillers, and Reclaim Your Life with Kathy Ketchum. Decapo Press. So this doctor has not only had a practice for a long time, but he's also had time to, was that five books, Mel? Four books, six books now? Yes. Yes. So that means, that means he's probably working on seven and also eight. He's been recognized by KPBS nationally. I remember you, you were going back to New York and getting ready to, I didn't get a chance. I don't think we actually saw it, but I know you did it. And, you know, we had, um, I reached out to him. I'd seen his book. And this guy, it's interesting. First of all, he answers his own phone. And when you ask him if he's willing to talk with you, he says yes. And then you ask if you can set up a time to do it. And he says yes. And we went to lunch and I tried to impress him. And he said, why don't you just shut up and eat? And uh, I, we're already here together, so I'm all yours. What do you need? And we, we just had a great conversation. And he's, I know he's got a residence here in our community in San Diego and lives in Las Vegas. And he'll, 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 he'll update us in a second. But he's the kind of person that, in my opinion, has never said no. And my sense is that his patients, his clients, his colleagues, and coworkers 
uh, probably all experience the same thing. So it's a rare thing for doctors who are able to take a bedside manner and, and that's not only high level and quality, quality, but also in relationships with human beings on the planet. And I've always found him to be warm, friendly, loving and caring and willing to do whatever it takes. Uh, it only took a year and a half to get him here, but uh, I know he's very busy. So with that, Dr. Paul, Mel, will you share with us a little bit about yourself and what's going on in your world and what it is we need to know to better understand why God has made you such an important person on the planet? Sure. Thanks, Scott, uh, for that uh, very complimentary uh, introduction. Makes me sound like somebody I'd like to meet. So I'll introduce uh, you. I'll introduce you one day. So I'm a family physician. I've been treating drug addiction uh, in a variety of settings, uh, mostly in Las Vegas, for the past 40 years. And about 12 years ago, we started a program for people who were addicted to primarily opioids but who also had co-occurring chronic pain. Uh, and it's the combination of pain and addiction that have occupied my professional life uh, for the last 12 years or 13 years uh, and continues to be the, the, it feels like it's my life's work, uh, really helping people figure out what to do if they have chronic pain, how to manage their life more effectively. That's it, come on now. 40 years in Vegas. So, so, so during, all right, well, I'm going to go through a couple of questions and I've got some free flowing things I've got. So tell us the difference between acute and chronic pain. What's the difference? Cause you know, it's interesting when you hear the word pain, I think it means a few different things to a few different people. And mm -hmm. some of it, you know, obviously, you know, I, I know comes from the mind, some of it from the body, some of it's combined. So from your experience, obviously and expertise, what's the difference between acute and chronic pain? So those who don't know. Sure. So uh, I, I, there's probably nobody on this broadcast who hasn't experienced pain in his or her life because it's a, it's a ubiquitous universal experience that every human has. Uh, and there are some exceptions, but, you know, for the most part, everybody experiences pain. And pain is a response to injury, uh, primarily damage to the tissue. And the experience of pain is really a protective function of the brain while the tissue heals. So if you sprain your ankle or you have an infected tooth or you've had surgery and you have an incision that's healing, the pain signal says, don't walk on my, that ankle. It's, it's damaged. And over the course of time, acute pain, which is what I'm describing, diminishes. It's like an alarm clock going off that says something's wrong. When the damage heals, the pain goes away. Well, chronic pain is a different animal. The only thing that acute pain and chronic pain have in common is the word pain. Otherwise, they're different phenomena. And we ended up in trouble in our culture because we treated chronic pain like it was just kind of more acute pain. I have a sprained ankle and it still hurts three months later. It must be the same thing. It must be related to tissue damage. Well, it turns out it's not. It's related to a signal coming from whatever tissue was damaged originally. And sometimes it's not even a damaged tissue. Sometimes chronic pain starts spontaneously. Uh, a condition that we all know, fibromyalgia, which we might talk about a little later, is there's no tissue damage. We cannot find anything wrong, and yet the pain signal persists all over the body. The explanation for that is that the signal travels to the brain, and it's the brain that really is experiencing the pain. If we didn't have a brain, we would not feel pain. 
and it's the processing of the signal on a chronic, recurrent, persistent, unending cycle that ends up causing this reverberating signal that, that is chronic pain, and it is in the brain. So, so tell us about that. You know, you mentioned that all pain is real. Tell us about the fibromyalgia and, and that's in their head and how that, how that works. Because it's interesting when you say, if we didn't have a brain, we wouldn't have pain. But of course, if we didn't have a brain, we probably wouldn't have addiction. We wouldn't have issues. We wouldn't have political parties. We wouldn't have the virus. You know, it'd be interesting to see what a world would be like. Imagine that, Michael, a world of people with no brains. We'd probably be happy. I'm almost there myself. Sorry. <laughs> if, if we were disconnected from our brains, we'd be yeah. lying bed without the ability to move because of course the brain is responsible for all those kinds of things so uh, not a good idea nothing to aspire to 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 be brainless but the point that i really am trying to make is that it's the connection of the body to the brain that creates pain and we in the medical professions particularly western medicine would like to separate the mind from the body as if they're separate and they're not the mind lives in the brain, the brain lives in the body, the brain is part of the body. And the, the mistake that we make with a, with a disease like fibromyalgia is we, we end up almost accusing people of the pain not being real. Oh, she's a complainer. Oh, he, he, he uh, whines a lot, you know. And the, the cost of being disbelieved, of being discounted is astronomical. It, the treatment center I work at, Las Vegas Recovery Center, we see people who come in and they are chronically misunderstood and discounted. And the net effect is that they feel that discounting and they, they lose faith in the medical system's ability to help. Uh, they also end up being alienated from their support systems because of this chronic misunderstanding. Fibromyalgia is a brain experience. And the way I describe it to patients is it's like the volume knob inside this pain center in the limbic system, the midbrain, middle part of the brain is turned up two or three notches so that what might feel like touch to a, a normal person, to somebody with fibromyalgia feels like excruciating pain. So it's a heightened sensitivity to touch that is not normal, but is present in people who have an illness such as fibromyalgia. So when, when people because almost everyone I've met, and, and as you said it earlier, almost everyone's had some experience of not directly really close member of the family. People talk about how, you know, I, I hear this all the time. Well, I've tried this, I've tried that. I just can't seem to get rid of the pain. The pain won't go away. It's not like a headache. It's not like a stomach ache. You know, you take Pepto-Bismol, you know, it's fascinating when you hear people talk about it. And then you hear them say it's gone on for 15 years. People have lived with this pain, uh, to your point. So why is it so complicated to treat is it is it the um, diagnosis part of it or is it just the misunderstanding of it or is it just people just feel like there's nothing more I can do so I'll take care of myself because when you talk about this is a second point I'm going to go off on a tangent here but when you talk about you know disconnecting the brain because when I heard you say that I immediately thought about when I used to anesthetize myself the pain that I was feeling that I thought was more behavioral you know mental health pain but it worked, it, you know, when I was numb, I never felt the feelings. So I, I would assume that that correlates to some degree, but I don't know for sure. So the first part of that is why is it, you know, the pain piece in people's lives seems to go on so chronically for so long and it just doesn't seem to get treated effectively. And then people start self-medicating going, 
you know, my doctor can't fix me, and so I'm just going to fix myself. And then, you know, well, there, that goes. Or, or they get doctored. You know, it's our, our system is one, our medical system. And, you know, the, the opioid epidemic, which is really sort of at the root of the, the concerns about chronic pain, really started in, in, a, in a pain condition where physicians were prescribing medications to patients who wanted relief. You know, you go to your doctor with back pain for three or four or five months and you're frustrated and you're anxious and you're irritable and you're depressed and you say, I, you know, take care of my back. And the doctor complies and writes a prescription, which takes a very short period of time. And for a short amount of, of weeks, it might be effective. So we, we prescribe Lortans or Percocet and the pain diminishes in a very, you know, very effective way. And my life gets better. The downside of that, as you well know, is that if you keep taking these medicines on a regular basis, they stop working because we develop tolerance. The body's response to the medicine is really over the course of time to, to fight against the medicine. So the, the medical system has, has taken upon itself to increase the dose or the potency or combine two different, a long-acting and a short-acting pain medicine. That's how we got into this mess was in, an, in a desire to get rid of the pain and in an attempt to get rid of the pain. And to go back to your original question, if a chronic pain exists, chronic illness like chronic addiction is a, or chronic diabetes or chronic hypertension, it's a condition that's going to be with the person on and off until he or she dies. So the, the desire to get rid of the pain, to ablate it, to nullify it, to knock it down, or as you point out, to anesthetize. I mean, anesthetics are, are present to put people to sleep. Well, if you have a pain condition and you anesthetize it, that's not a good successful way to live. And one of the key principles in our treatment program is that we should treat to improve function. We shouldn't pay attention necessarily to the pain score. We should pay attention to how are you feeling and how is your life and what are you able to do and how can we help you improve that? And it turns out that when we engage patients in that process, their outcome is much better. When people take responsibility and they get activated to, to improve their life, their, their life gets better. You know, and it was the Surgeon General, I believe it was 2017, just two and a half, three years ago, finally admitted through studies that, you know, long-term pain treatment does not work with Oxycontin and, you know, and, and we, and we all know the issues that's going on with big pharma and yeah. Oxycontin and, and, you know, I'm, I'm hearing from, cause I'm as a crisis coach, I hear from families all the time, you know, you know, they're just, they, they, they used to have prescriptions and now they can't get it. So, which is good to hear that doctors are slowing down now. Pharmacies are double checking, you know, the cures database to see if someone is drug seeking and, you know, Addicts don't usually, and here in San Diego, just it was just posted uh, two months ago, fentanyl overdoses are up 32% last year over the year before. And, you know, when the data comes out with this virus, with people in, you know, in quarantine and all the issues that are going on with the inability to cope and the recovery communities have pretty much shut down, you know, my home groups are all on, uh, on Zoom right now, which I like because I'm ADHD. So, you know, listening and watching 40 people this morning, somebody was vacuuming their their yoga studio and getting ready to work out i mean that distraction for me is great and i use different sceneries to kind of irritate some of my people in my meeting but you know so the whole world's changing when it comes to that so tell us the difference between addiction and dependence and how they're treated differently 
So when I started this program, again, about 12, 13 years ago, our program treats drug addiction with traditional interventions, detoxification, cognitive behavioral therapy, and the, the fundamental basis in 12-step um, recovery. We found that people were coming to our program with chronic pain who started taking medications, took them as prescribed, increased their dose because of tolerance, but always took their medicines as prescribed. Maybe they took a few more on a bad day, so they'd run out a day or two early. But these are not people who have addiction like you and I have addiction, who, uh, you know, take their bottle in the first 10 days and then hit the street looking for something to supplement. And they're also not people who experience getting high from taking their drugs. They are pursuing not intoxication or reward, they're pursuing relief, relief of pain in this case. And when you mix those populations, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon because we did. We, we admitted a bunch of people who were on prescription painkillers and had, had doctor-supported uh, treatment, but they, were also, they came to us because either their family was not satisfied with them and they got intervened upon, there was an intervention process, or they got referred perhaps by their workers' comp company who said, we're not going to pay for your pills anymore, or the doctor, when the doctor started cutting them off. So we had to sort of figure out where this population fits. And what we learned about dependence is that it's not simply dependence and withdrawal. There's something about the way the opioid works in the brain of, of any individual so that the, the pursuit of relief becomes pathological. I will take this drug despite the fact that it's causing me problems. I will continue to use despite consequences, which is a traditional diagnosis for addiction. I crave not a high, but I crave drug relief from my pain. And, right. and I will pursue that despite the fact that it's not healthy for me. And my family relationships and my ability to work are impaired because I take drugs, but I'm not taking them in the same fashion that an addict does. So we, we coined a term called complex dependence. It's not simply dependence on the drug. It's, there's something more to it, and, and it really in, engages the brain, which is where the pain experience is and where addiction is. And it ends up that these folks have more in common with people with addiction than, than not. But you're right. We um, years ago we tried to track. I mean, that's kind of when we first kind of met because we were working on this pain track idea and working with you know, workers comp. And what we found is the traditional, if you will, drug addicts were upset that they had to sit next to somebody who had permission from their doctor to take medication. And the the clinical staff was like, "Well, wait a minute. That that's not that we shouldn't mix them." So I said, "Look, there's parts of I think the therapeutic model where being together is going to be helpful because they both have this level." of issues that are going on that are very symbiotic and there's parts you may have to separate them. And that was a big fight we had because, uh, you know, people don't quite, especially when you're, you know, you're, you're talking about an abstinence based path versus someone who's got a prescription from their doctor. And that particular client didn't really see themselves as a substance abuser because they had a prescription to the medication they were taking. That is, that is the way it is at, at LVRC. The, the benefit is we have the expertise to, to really manage the part of the, the story that's denial. You right. know, I, I don't have addiction, I'm different, but we also are able to integrate and, you know, the, the effective addiction treatments look for similarities and not differences. And there are 
significant similarities between somebody who takes opiate by prescription for pain and one of these youngsters who, who's out was snorting or smoking heroin and God forbid overdosing on pain. Right. And, you know, the medication assisted treatment model that obviously becoming very popular insurance companies want to make a priority. And we'll talk more about that, hopefully, in our in our next session. And, and, and hopefully you're having a good time and you really want to come back and do a deeper dive on the, you know, the treatment side, how it works, who should be getting it, how we get families going. So a question here I have is what are some of the measures besides opioids to help someone with chronic pain? So to start answering that question, I need to just emphasize the fact that chronic pain as an experience is about 10 or 15% physical, maybe 20% physical. And that has to be dealt with. So exercise and stretching and yoga, and we have a Qigong instructor, uh, are all essential to, to animate the body, to, to make it more flexible, to increase circulation, and to uh, allow the person to function better. You know, if you hurt when you move and you end up not moving, you end up not living. So we teach people how to get moving. But the other 80% of the experience of pain has to be dealt with. And that's the thoughts about it and the feelings about it and the spiritual disconnection that comes along with the life of chronic pain. And we have components of our program that have been proven uh, evidence-based uh, to improve the, the overall outcome. And so we're talking about cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, which helps people just sort of reframe the storyline I'm dying from, you know, my back is killing me is what we call a cognitive distortion. It's not killing you because you're not dying. And if you tell yourself you're dying, it has an impact on your, your well-being. So we teach people to tell the truth about what their experience is. We, we use dialectical behavioral therapy, which is a distress reduction and mindfulness-based therapy. And we use acceptance commitment therapy, which is what's important to you, what, what motivates you, what, what makes your life of quality and how do you commit to doing those things for the uh so that's for the cognitive and, and and the emotional distress processes that are always always associated with chronic pain and the spiritual side in our program involves 12-step recovery so we teach people about the 12 steps we introduce them to meetings now of course they're all on zoom at, at our facility as well but we also do a lot of mindfulness practice and there's a great evidence-based database that that shows that people who meditate who learn how to just not even slow their mind uh, notice their mind as it goes and focus on something particularly like the breath changes their experience of pain changes the amount of pain they're in and improves their function so we're, we're very uh, uh, very we stress the importance of, of having some sort of mindfulness practice and what it turns out is the best prognostic factor in people who do well is a sense that I can take care of this, a sense of self-efficacy. People come in victimized, like, I, I can't do this. You have to do it for me. Give me a medicine. You know, send me to this therapy. Inject me and then operate on me, none of which is really impactful for chronic pain. We help people see the, the anxiety, the fear, the anger, the frustration, and a path out of the distress into a functional life. Yeah, that's great. Okay, I've got a couple of quick questions, and I say quick because we only have a couple minutes left. So I'm gonna ask you a question, and I want you to just kind of give me your heartfelt top of mind response. What have we not asked you 
that you would like us to ask you? There's so much, Scott. I mean, as you said, this is the this is a we're just skimming the surface of of, uh, of the topic. I, I guess the most important thing that I want to reiterate is that the pain exists in the mind. It doesn't mean it's not real. So okay. dealing with the mind and what comes from the mind, thoughts and feelings, is essential if you ever want to get better at the outcome. Great. Next question. Any regrets? Not about this podcast, but I mean, things in life. If you, if you could pick one, maybe two, what would they be? That made you smile. So obviously, you've got a couple on top of your head there. No, I... I or maybe not. I, don't, I can't. I mean, I have a blessed life. I, I, my biggest regret is that I'm so old, you know. Uh, I, you know I, I, but I don't know that I'd want to start at, at 18, you know. But I, I, uh, it feels like everything I've been through, you know, my personal addiction, the professional opportunities I've had, and the current state of the world, even though it's really messed up. I, I don't. I don't approach them with regret. I approach. I, I feel blessed. You know. You. You talked about gratitude at the beginning. There's so much for me to be grateful for in my life, uh, compared to so many people. And you know that the, the ability for me to pass some of that on is it's just it's a gift. Great. All right. The other side of that. Last question. If you had a magic wand, what would you do with it? Um, I think I'd eradicate this virus. Um, get us back to the business of, of living life. Uh, you know, philosophically, I suppose there's a reason for it and, and we will reconstruct in a different way, but it's, it's just doing so much damage to so many people. And you mentioned recovery. I mean, recovery has been decimated. Overdose deaths are up astronomically and we're going to see worse over time. So I, I think the damage it's doing, I, I, if I could take it away, I would. Great. Dr. Mel Pohl, thank you so much for taking time today. I know how busy you are in this, you know, this segment of time of, of you probably could be surfing or napping or, you know, maybe hitting one of those, you know, blackjack tables that might be open. I don't even know where you are right now in the world, but you look like you're near the ocean. So we'll kind of go with that. So Scott H. Silverman's happy hour. Thanks for joining us today. And again, don't forget those three hard words in the English language. I need help. This is a time right now that sitting home alone trying to figure out on YouTube how you're going to get out of this. It's probably not going to give you the answer you're seeking. And, you know, there are people out there that want to help. There's crisis hotlines everywhere. You know, simple ways to do it. Go online. Call me. Text me. 619-993-2738. I dare you to because I love getting a strange phone number in my phone because that means I'm probably going to have a chance to talk to somebody and maybe not go to another funeral. I mean, funeral avoidance is one of those campaigns I'm on now, like never before. And I know you see it, doc, you know, we're seeing people much sicker and the family is as well. And the fact that we're kind of homebound and I've looked, I've been home six months. I got, I've got PTSD from my wife. Uh, she blames me and I blame her, which to me makes for a perfect relationship. Michael, back to you, brother. Yeah. I just want to, uh, bring up something that came to mind as I was listening to you guys talk, Dr. Uh, Dr. Paul, the people suffering with uh, amputee patients who suffer with phantom leg uh, pain and so forth. That's just a kind of a, a classic idea of what pain, it, pain, it means being in the brain. Uh, is there any way to treat that with medication or is that something you just have to live with? Well, uh, it's a great question and it's a perfect example. If you don't have an arm, the pain can't be coming from your arm. 
right? So, and and it's it's a it's a desperately awful experience of pain. It's one of the, the examples of central pain, and the way we treat central pain is very little with medication because medication is less likely to be effective. But all the measures that I talked about, and really there are some specific measures for amputation and for a condition called complex regional pain syndrome, where you still have the limb, but there's just an excruciating amount of pain. It's a very challenging diagnosis and uh, it's tough to treat. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. It's been very enlightening and I certainly appreciate you uh, coming on our show. Scott, you have a quote to see us out? Well, unless, Mel, did you come up with one? You want me to do it? Well, I, well, I do have because you asked you, Yeah, I did. Okay, we did it just before we started. Go ahead. It's all yours. comes from the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, and the quote is, half measures avail us nothing. So this takes work, uh, this process of recovery, and I encourage everybody to put on their big boy or big girl pants and get busy. That's great. By the way, do you want to leave any contact information, uh, a website where people can hound dog you like I did, but it took me months to find them. So don't make it easy. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to be cheated of the opportunity. <laughs> website is the Las Vegas recovery center.com Las Vegas recovery.com Las Vegas recovery.com. And the phone number is 800-790-0091. And I can be reached through the, through the center. Right. And, and, you know, obviously, Dr. Mel Paul, if you look him up uh, on the Internet, which I did, uh, you, and hopefully if you print out his bio, do it in larger font than I did. Now I have a headache <laughs> from trying to squint through that. But he does great work. And uh, as a national, in my opinion, a national representative of what works uh, and believes in people and, and not only believes in people, but believes in people getting better and giving them the tools so they can practice on their own. So it's, it's a rare thing, Doc. I really applaud you for your commitment. And, you know, you, you call yourself older, I get that. And, and it's always nice to think, well, gee, I've, if I had the information I have now, I'd go back in time. But, you know, unfortunately, that doesn't, it won't work for me, not for my people anyway, the Jewish people. They give us assignments when we get to heaven. But you teach as you talk. And, I'm, and I always learn when I listen to you. And that, that's, a, that's a great gift. So thanks again for being here today. And thanks for all your experience, strength, and hope. Thanks. Be well. Be safe.